0: My opening verse is Deuteronomy chapter 30. As I said, uh, my subject matter is life and death. And the title of the message is when all is said and done. And there's copies of this outline available at the foyer. It's a little bit more extensive today and I won't be able to cover all of this subject matter. But uh, please feel free to go out in the foyer and pick up a copy. So Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 11 and we're going to read down through verse 20 and it reads this way for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you nor is it far off it is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it but the word is very near to you In your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you life and good, death and evil, In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments. Why? That you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. Verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. And he is your life in the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to his fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. And God bless the reading of his word. Amen. You know, life and death uh, are two very important words biblically. And when these words are clearly defined and understood... God's word opens up in our understanding and becomes very relevant in our everyday choices. I believe until we understand the true significance of these two words and and how they impact our life now and in the life to come, then life is somewhat fuzzy. We have we have more questions than we have answers and we're more confused than we have clarity. But I think that as we understand what life is and what death is from God's perspective, then our life is enriched now and we have this blessed assurance of this life that is to come. And I believe that brings great peace and consolation to us in the life that we're experiencing right now. Questions about life and death date back to the Garden of Eden. They remain with us today and will be part of every generation going forward until the day that death is swallowed up through the glorious resurrection and return of Jesus Christ. And so scripture talks about different types of death. And I want you to go back with me to the book of Genesis because it's the seedbed for all scripture. And when we begin to understand what took place in the beginning, it helps us with the here and now because... From the beginning, things were not always the way that they are right now. And things got altered and things changed. But we can see here in Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 17, it reads this way. This is God instructing Adam and Eve. He said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, in the Hebrew, the word die here is rendered, or it should read, in dying you shall die, which implies there's more than one type of death. In dying you shall die is how the Hebrew language communicates this word in partaking or of this temptation and disobeying the commandments of God. Then death becomes part of the story. And there's three types of death that... Scripture talks about the first is spiritual death. And when I talk about death, let's understand, first of all, what it is not. It is not the cessation of existence. For you were created as an eternal being. You're clothed in humanity or in flesh, but you are a spirit. And the Apostle Paul prayed in first Thessalonians chapter five and verse 23. And I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be set apart or sanctified until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you're not just flesh and bone and sinew and organs and a mind and an intellect and emotions. No, you're a spirit. You have a soul, a mind, a will, an intellect, emotions, and you temporarily, I temporarily, are living in an earthen vessel. And this earthen vessel is what we become so familiar and attached to in our journey here on the earth. But what we really become attached to is really the person inside the vessel. If you really consider it, you you may have liked the outward package, but you probably fell in love with the inward package. Uh, and that's what drew you to that individual. And so when it talks about Death, it's not talking about the cessation of existence, but it means to be separated. When you understand that death is doesn't mean that it's over, it just means temporarily there's a separation. And to be separated from someone means that you're just on separate pages. You're going separate directions, you're doing separate things. And that's what happened when sin entered into our life. We entered and we started going on a different path, a separate path in God's path, a separate way of thinking than the way that God thinks, a separate way of living than the way that God lives. But God does not want to be separated from us. Can I get a hearty amen? But let, before I get ahead of myself and get excited and uh, let me share with you, spiritual death is the separation of the human spirit from God. That's, that what took, that's what took place in the garden, that man was separated from God. That's spiritual death. That means that death entered in to the spirit of man, and therefore the need for man to be born again. Because man is born into sin, spiritually dead unto God. And therefore a man must be born again. Jesus taught us that in the great lesson that he shared with Nicodemus. How is a man born again? Well, that which is born of flesh is flesh. But notice what Jesus said. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel. Don't let this trip you up. You must be born again. Why? Because sin has entered into the story between God and man and we're separated from God. But Jesus came to reconcile us and to bring us back into union with him. So the second kind of death after spiritual death is physical death. You die first spiritually then what catches up is your physical body. Your physical body passed away. Now, man was not created originally by God to pass away because he was created in the likeness and image of God, but he did pass away. And I know many of you have read through the Old Testament, and um, it's amazing how long it took for physical death to catch up. I mean, the first chapters of the book of Genesis, people lived a long time. Now, if they lived in the like where we live, that's a lot of winters. Nine hundred and sixty-nine winters for Methuselah, the man that lived the law. And and he didn't maybe you know he couldn't hop a train or a plane or and go down south. I mean, he was like, this is where I am, and this is these uh, this is where I live. So just as a, as a caveat, there. I mean, the. The intervention of God in the book of Genesis is amazing to me uh, and and how he he recognized that man if he lived too long would keep getting it wrong over and over and, over and 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 over again, and it would drive him farther and farther and farther and farther away from God and would cause his heart to become harder and harder and harder and harder towards God. Therefore, God intervened because He's merciful and He said, all right, 900 years, that's too many. We'll, you know, we'll set the span of a man's life for 120. And that, that means that, that God has given parameters and, and a certain timeline for this physical body to be here and to serve and to glorify Him. So physical death is the separation of the human spirit from the human body. And then eternal death is talked about in Scripture, and this is eternal separation from God. It's also referred to in Scripture as the second death, and this is what takes place. If a person is not born again, they die physically, then they enter into judgment, and second death occurs. They, they not only are dead spiritually, but they're dead eternally, and therefore they're separated from God for eternity, But that's not God's will for anyone. He doesn't want anyone to perish or to be separated from him eternally. Therefore, he loved the world. And we know that because he sent his only begotten son to save us from our sins. So let's also talk about life and the definition biblically of the word life. This is both physical and eternal. Scripture speaks about an outward man, an inward man, about a mortal or corruptible and it also talks about immortality and incorruption. It talks about a natural man, it talks about a spiritual man, it talks about the hidden man of the heart. So it's not silent in regards to the subject matter of life. And so life that that uh that we're experiencing now uh, is is a physical life, but there also is eternity in front of us, and either that is life or death, and that's based on what? A choice. That's why Deuteronomy chapter 30, when the Lord, through Moses, is recalling and reminding the people of God that they have one of the greatest gifts that is bestowed upon them, and that is the gift of choice. And he said, everything is lying before you. Now you have to make the right choice. And he gives us insight by saying, choose life, that both you may live and your descendants So your choice for Jesus, your choice for life, your choice for living for the Savior does impact other people. And you need to apply your faith accordingly. And it's one of the great truths that you can hold up before the Lord in prayer is that I'm choosing Christ. And I believe that in doing so, you can present that before the Lord and saying, and your promise is my descendants or my seed will also be impacted by my decision for Jesus Help me to represent Jesus well to them. Can I get an amen? So when I say that the Lord's will initially was not that man should perish or be separated from him, it's exactly what the opening chapters of the book of Genesis communicate. But then man fell prey to temptation And death entered in to the earth. But it always wasn't that way. Death was not always here. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse 15 through 17, the Lord God took man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And so man knew that he was not to partake of that particular tree, was not to go down that path, but God was not going to violate man's sovereign right of choice or his ability to make a decision. And and God always wants us to choose Him. But the word choice is interesting, isn't it? It means there's an alternative path. I mean, you can't choose if there's only one path. If there's multiple streams or multiple paths, then there is no choice to be made. But because there were and there was going to be other decisions or other paths that people could take... God not only instructed them, but he warned them. If you go down this path, the the consequences are real. And therefore, don't go down that path. But man went down that path. And because of that, death entered in to humanity and, and was passed on from every generation from, from Adam and Eve. So this intruder called death... God only not only warned us about death, but all of the ramifications because of it. We see this in Genesis chapter 3, and this is after Adam and Eve have fallen prey to temptation, and the Lord comes, and he's giving them instruction. Verse 16, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children." Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake in toil. You shall eat of it all the days of your, your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth to you. I, have you noticed in this dry season that your grass has gone dormant, but the weeds have gone crazy? Yeah another another reality that the word of God is true and so you don't have to water weeds somehow they thrive in heat and barren and and desolate conditions and he says and you shall eat the herbs of the field and the sweat of your face shall you shall eat your bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you shall return so here's here's what the Lord is saying is that you you made choices, but in the midst of your choices, these are the consequences. This is this is the world in which you will now work. And this is what works looks like. This is uh, for the for the ladies. This is what conception and and childbearing and birth is. Um, and I know there's people that are out there that that say, you know, hey, uh, uh, you know, that teach or, or propagate that uh, women won't have challenges or difficulty in in childbirth. And uh, but I think they're confused about the difference between the ramifications of the fall of man and the blessings that redeemed us from the curse of the law. Those are two different subject matters altogether. So the result of the fall is still with us. Right. But we're redeemed from the curse of the law and nowhere in That curse, did it say that women would not have challenges in childbearing? It's not a good doctrine. It's not. And there's hundreds of thousands of women that can testify that they were believing God, that they wouldn't have labor pains or they would have an easy delivery and it wouldn't be any problem, and they experienced just the opposite. But someone told them, no, you can just believe God and you won't have any pain in child delivery. And how many ladies in here had some pain in child delivery. And what it tells me is that 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 if it was a doctrine and if it was true, it would be a blanket statement for all women who could believe. But there is a difference between the fall of man and the ramifications from the fall and Christ redeeming us from the curse of the law. Right now in Genesis, when this occurs, the law is not even on the books. It would take hundreds of years before the law was actually completed with all of its commandments, ordinances, things. Now, the men also understand the reality of this consequence, and so do ladies, that, you know, if you're going to get it, you're going to have to do what? You're going to have to work for it. And there's some sweat and some sweat equity and some effort that you have to put into it. And so, isn't it amazing, just to show you, I'm trying to help some of you in here, when anything is a good doctrine, it's good all through the context of what's being communicated. I've never heard anyone say to those that work or labor in the field, hey, you can just believe God and you'll never sweat a day of your life. Are you following me? Now... This may just be for a select few, but I'm all for getting one or two of you out of the ditch, and the rest of you can just come along for the ride for a minute. Can I get an amen? In other words, you know, if it's true biblically, every aspect of this scripture would be true regardless. I was with Kendall the other day, and just the thought of it being 75 degrees caused his forehead to begin to break out in a sweat. And I couldn't say to him, you know, Kendall, if you had faith, you would never sweat. You would, you'd never sweat. You'd never have, everything would come easy. You wouldn't have to deal with thorns and briars and thistles. And and it wouldn't be labor to bring forth fruit into the field. Can can you see where I'm coming from now? Amen. I think I'll move on. I made my point. So this intruder called death has come into the world and... uh And impacted humanity, not only in the first family, but every family that has followed. So God loved Adam and Eve enough, though, to communicate those truths to them. But he also did something that is amazing in the midst of this. In the midst of this mess, God prophesies about a messiah. So let's go back now. We're still in Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3 and let's look at verse 15. This is the Lord also announcing judgment on the serpent or on Satan. And in verse 15, he makes this prophetic proclamation. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Here it is in the midst of this mess of death entering in and man now being separated from God and dying spiritually. Physical death will come. And then for those that don't know or accept God into their life, eternal death will happen. And now life has been altered and it's not the same. And fear has come in and blame is now, uh, uh, you know, part of a relational uh, a component that was never there before and, and and people are covering up themselves because they're aware of their nakedness and now they're ashamed and all of these negative things came into the world. God showed up in the middle of the mess with a redemptive thread and he said I'm going to do something through a seed. And this seed that's going to come is going to come from a woman. And this seed is going to bring life and bring eternal life back where death has ruled and reigned. Thanks be to God. Can I get an amen? Amen. So God didn't say, all right, now you have to sit in your stuff. What he said is, I'm going to get in the middle of this and I am going to bring a Messiah in the middle of your mess. And that's exactly what he did. So he prophesied about this Messiah, and the Messiah did come exactly the way that Scripture foretold. So a truth that we have to understand is that death is an enemy. It's noted that way all through Scripture, not only to God, but to mankind. God, though, is the giver of life, and this truth is not only made clear in the ministry of Jesus, but also brought out beautifully in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. And in 1 John chapter 3, where Jesus was manifested, why did he come? To destroy the works of the devil. And the works of the devil were to steal, kill, and to destroy. So death was the work of the enemy, not the work of God. But what is greater than death? Resurrection life. And that's what Jesus brings. That's the hope of the resurrection for each and every one of us is that death, spiritual death, was swallowed up through Jesus' resurrection. And now physical death is something we'll experience, but not anything we need to be afraid of anymore. Because we have what? A blessed assurance to be with the Lord now and one day to be with him forever. Never to be separated from him. So that truth of Jesus' ministry and why he came is beautifully portrayed through the Gospels. We don't see Jesus bringing disease or malady or harm or confusion or or emotional trauma into people's life we see him ministering we see him setting captives free and and taking uh people for, that were in darkness and bringing them into light and so we get this beautiful picture of our savior coming and fulfilling everything that is written about him so here's the great question right since Jesus came to redeem and reconcile us to the father of which scripture talks about all through the book of Ephesians, particularly this mission was completed. His redemptive work, his reconciliation work was completed through his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the grave. So therefore, really, what does happen? What occurs when an individual passes away? Now, I want to invite you to go to 2 Corinthians, go into the New Testament, chapter 5. And uh, on the outline, there's many, many scriptures that I don't have time uh, to read or to make reference to at this point, but they are available for you. But in 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading there in a moment. But before I do that, let me gather you together once again with this reminder that we're talking about the healing heart of God. God is just and righteous. God is holy and perfect. And he could have chosen. He could have chosen when man rejected his path and his will and his way, he could have chosen To walk away. And no one. would You couldn't have found fault with God. Because he's holy and just and righteous. But he's also merciful and patient. He's also loving and gracious. And the psalmist said this about God. That truth. And mercy. Have kissed one another. In that moment where man was in a mess, the truth was God could have left us there and been totally righteous in his decision. That's the truth. This is one face. That got me in a lot of trouble in eighth grade. (laughs) Drawing a face, and right, all right. And so here you have that truth, but then here you have truth and mercy. The mercy of God through Jesus Christ. Why does every letter remind us that God is merciful? Because the truth is, without that, we would be lost. They kissed each other. They came together and said, we're not going to leave man in that mess. And so we intervened. So when we mention life and death, we're talking about natural life, eternal life. We're talking about, you know, death and death. Every way that scripture talks about it, you know, spiritual death, physical death, eternal death. And in understanding this, we understand scripture much more clearly. And I believe we get more clarity in our own day in and day out existence. I think it helps us with our priorities. I think that that we don't put so much weight upon right here and right now. But we also realize that we're storing up for ourselves one day in heaven treasures So what you're doing right now here on the earth is being recorded in heaven because the book of Revelation says that when that day comes, the books are the seals and heaven will be open and everyone will be known as they are known. Everything is written in there. It's an amazing, amazing truth about how God views his world and the people that he loves. And what he's done to help us is that he intervened and he, come, and he came to us. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, how's everybody doing? It says, For we know that if our earthly house, that's our body, this tent, notice how he denotes this natural or this, this uh, temporal life, it's, it's with the metaphor of a tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made in heavens eternal, uh, not made with hands eternal in the heavens, and so he, a tent or a house, uh, Ones, what, now, temporal, ones in the future and eternal. He says, for in this we groan, uh, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. That mortality may be swallowed up by what's the next word life to the where there is not temporal life, eternal life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So let's stop for a minute. You have an earnest deposit of the spirit for a promise of a property that you will possess one day eternally. The down payment has been made. You have the spirit now. It's the earnest payment for that which is to come. In other words, you're already, your down payment for your home in heaven is already taken care of. Now, in order to experience it, your lease, which is temporal, in this tent has to expire. But then you get to go to your home or your house, eternal in the heavens, Of which you have the spirit as a guarantee saying it's already taken care of. No payment necessary. Don't sweat it. There's a place for you. He goes on and he continues to encourage us. Verse 6. So we are always confident. Confident what? Knowing that while we were at home in the body... We are absent from the Lord. So right now, we're somewhat comfortable in our natural condition. But one day, we're not going to be so comfortable in our natural condition. And at that point, when this natural body begins to decay and fade away, and this tent is no longer a suitable habitation, don't worry. You have a home or a house in heaven. This is the healing heart of God. Not only did He come and make all things new for us and wipe away every sin and every stain of sin in our life. He is preparing a place for us with him in heaven. This is the healing heart of God because God knows that death is in the world. And since death is in the world, everyone will experience physical death unless the Lord come and receive him us to himself. And he goes on and he says, for we're confident, verse 6, knowing that we were at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we right now in this current tent walk by faith and not by sight. And we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present from the Lord. So he's saying this tent is is pretty, pretty good right now. But compared to that, which is to come, I'm looking for the trade up. I'm looking forward to the trade up. I'm looking for this, the day that we, you know, we cash in all our coins and we go on and we be with our savior. Amen. So Paul shares that we have an outward man, an inward man, that this life is temporal, but we have the blessed assurance of an eternal home, not made with hands, but it's made for us in the heavens. He also gives us heaven's perspective of death to bring comfort to us in our time of loss. When he says these words to depart and to be with Christ is far better to depart and to be with Christ is far better. So there was a day that we arrived. We would say that was your birthday, the day that you arrived and there's a day that you'll depart First appointed unto man once, only once, once to die, and then the judgment. And every man should prepare for that day while they're here because we can't prepare for that day once our departure has taken place. Therefore, the instruction, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live helps us to understand the most valuable, important decision that we could ever make is to choose life. And to choose life means to choose God because God is the author of life and to choose life is to choose Jesus because he came that we may have life. And when you chose life, what you did was you chose not only for you, but for your descendants and for your future Home in heaven. This is a healing heart of God. Because there is a day. Saints. Where someone may be praying for your healing. And the healing doesn't manifest. Or praying for a miracle. And the miracle doesn't manifest. But for the believer. Reservations have already been accepted. And the welcome wagon. Is waiting for you to come home. When when that day comes. Right To be absent from this body, this temporal tent, I'm at home with heaven. I just go home to my father. Now, word to those of us who have all lost loved ones. And I don't know one of us in this room that hasn't experienced that unless you're very young and have been very fortunate. For the believer, this is a win-win proposition. Now, for the believer that's left behind... There's a season of sorrow, and this is talked about all through Scripture also. And we do sorrow, but we sorrow with an eternal hope, but we do grieve. But the grieving draws us closer to God because he's the God of all comfort and all consolation. When I'm hurting, I go to the God of comfort and consolation. I go to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I cry out to him. And I ask him to come with his mighty comfort, the Holy Spirit, and to comfort the downcast and the brokenhearted and to mend and to strengthen me because I am temporarily separated from someone that I loved. But it's temporal. But it's real. Grief is an interesting season in someone's life because no one can determine the length of the season the season determines that, and there are several variables. There's a matter; it's the studies are, are are very enlightening and and good for us to know about. the The season of grief can take place because of the proximity of someone to your heart, how close they were to you, how, and and we wonder sometimes, you know, why are they so downcast? Why is our heart so heavy? It's because of the investment relationally that they had in that with that person. Um, And that's why we want to persuade people that this life as valuable as it is, as comfortable as you may be right now, as as healthy as you may be right now. That's not always going to be the case. There comes a day where this body begins to show the weather and the wear. There's chinks in this flesh. Uh, We're a lot more fragile than what we think. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. And so handle this life wisely because you understand life now is more than here and now. It's here and in the life that is to come. And the promise that scripture gives us is that if you live godly or live for God or strive to live by faith, for the glory of God, it not only pays dividends now in the life that is, the promise is it pays rich rewards in the life that is to come, which tells us, which tells us God is aware of what we're doing right now, not to punish us, but one day to reward us. So what happens to all the things that that we have done that some somehow in some way we regret? Right now, well, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse and forgive you of all unrighteousness. So if God chooses not to remember and to cleanse you, then God is still there and available for you with no condemnation. What happens to areas in our life where maybe we haven't been so willing Or so open or receptive to talk to the Lord and to lay our sins at his feet. Well, one day when we're in his presence, everything that is noted as wood, hay and stubble will be burned up. And then only that which remains, which is the precious stones and the precious metals will be left. And then from that, you will receive a reward. So that is why we want to build wisely, build on a good foundation. Just don't do things from a natural standpoint. Do things to please heaven and to live for heaven while you're here on the earth. Because the healing heart of God impacts us now. He's the God who forgives us of all of our sins. He's the God who cleanses us. He's the God also who heals us of all of our diseases. That's in this life. Because there is no sin and no disease in heaven. So that means God cares about your quality of life now and has reserved for you eternal life with him in glory. Scripture says, as I close, therefore, comfort one another with these words. The coming of the Lord is soon. Comfort one another with these words. Exhort one another with these admonitions, because for the believer, death is not the end, for those of us that have lost loved ones, there is a grand reunion on the other side of the veil of this flesh that we're all looking forward to. But until that day, what are we called to do? For we walk by faith and not by sight. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And God, the God of all comfort and consolation, will come and minister to us in our moments of weakness, in our frailty, in our sorrow, in our grief, in our brokenness. Because loss, church, isn't just loss as far as of a life. Some of us have lost friends. Some people lose their way. Some people have lost a pet. People have lost a job. Is there pain in that? Is there suffering? Is there separation? Yes. But God has a healing heart and he comes to us in those moments. People have asked, and I'll close with this because I could go on and on because this is one of my favorite subject matters in Scripture because when I began to understand the message and the meaning of life and death, God's word took on a whole different realm to me. And now it was not just getting all that I can, can all I get and sit on my can while I'm here on the earth. No, it was about something much bigger and something much better. and Something that's real, that's reserved for us in heaven. And thank God for this life and the people that you love and the memories that you make and the things you get to enjoy. But nothing can compare to heaven. And that's why Jesus came, is so that we could have a home in heaven with him. And what Adam lost in the garden, the first Adam, Jesus, the second Adam, came and got it all back. He got it all back. Thanks be to God for Jesus. Can I get a hearty amen? Amen. 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 So comfort one another. If you know someone that's down Go to them and comfort them. Remind them that God is with them in their pain and in their trouble and in their sorrow. Pray with them. Sit with them. Walk with them. Because the season of grief can be as short as a year and as long as five to seven. The variables that intermingle with that all are part of it. It can come and go. How many of you experienced like, I was doing great until all of a sudden... And that all of a sudden, something, but in that, God is still with us. God is still with us. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.